From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. For many people, lockdowns and stay-at-home orders have meant binging TV shows and watching movies. But in Hollywood, where many of those productions are based, COVID-19 has brought the industry to a grinding halt. To survive, major film and TV productions have relocated to Australia, bringing with them big-name celebrities and jobs. But there are concerns that the production boom here could be more of a bubble, with the main beneficiaries being overseas studios rather than local creatives. Today, senior reporter for the Saturday paper, Rick Morton, on who really benefits from the current film and TV gold rush and the importance of telling Australian stories. There seems to be uh, a lot of Hollywood actors in Australia at the moment, and we're talking big actors, A-listers. What's going on? It kind of does feel like they all appeared here (laughs) in the last six months. Hollywood is coming to South Australia with superstar Zac Efron touching down in Adelaide to start work on a new blockbuster film. Zac Efron, I think we all know by now, has been stuck here during the pandemic and has been put to work. Uh, Taika Waititi has been shooting in Australia since last year. Academy Award winners George Clooney and Julia Roberts will film the next romantic comedy Ticket to Paradise in the Sunshine State. Julia Roberts flew in and she's going to be joined by George Clooney, her friend and filming partner. Natalie Portman's been around. You're very far away from us, aren't you? I am. I'm down under and going to be here for a few more months for, for Thor. Matt Damon, Idris Elba, Rita Ora. Mark Wahlberg, Natalie Portman, Olivia Newton-John, Nicole Kidman. Aquafina, Melissa McCarthy. Oh, the birds. I love the crazy birds in Australia. I have a book of them now. They're pretty much all working. My friends almost hit Mark Wahlberg with a car in East Sydney the other day. It feels like the epicentre for film and television production with a whole lot of big shows being produced right here in town and in the hinterlands. You, you can't really move without spotting one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are they doing here? Well, I mean, COVID-19 obviously has been pretty bad for most of the world, but it's it's been great for the Australian film and uh, TV industry because... Because we managed the pandemic kind of well, um, a lot of international productions have decided that Australia is a great place to film. They can get their people here. Um, and also there's been some pretty lucrative incentives from the government over the last year and a bit. And because of all of these things kind of getting together, the current international production activity in Australia is unprecedented, even since the peak that we once enjoyed around the year 2000 when, you know, just before The Matrix was filming... Uh, the Australian dollar was so low that everyone was coming here and we've exceeded even that. Mm. Can you tell me about these lucrative incentives? Yeah, so a lot of this is actually down to this pot of money, which was actually originally $140 million and that was almost all gone by 2019. And last year they announced that it was going to be extended to $400 million and that has led to an enormous boon. And today we are extending and putting a seven-year program in place to the tune of $400 million to ensure that we can attract those big films and productions and screen events for them to be produced right here in Australia. And this is kind of a location incentive grant, and essentially it provides a big bucket of money to international producers who film here in Australia, and it provides us economic dividends if they do because they've got their crew, they've got people, you know, eating toasted sandwiches, hiring helicopters, 
getting accountants done, you know, everything kind of flows through the community. There is serious interest in, in basing films here in Australia. We've already got Disney making films here. Uh, we've got the Marvel Syndicate. We've got uh, Paramount Studios. All these big studios know our potential and capability here in Australia, and they've known it for many years. And, in fact, in April, the Australian director George Miller revealed that a prequel to his 2015 film Mad Max Fury Road will start shooting in June. I'm really glad we're able to make this film here. The last one was made in far-off Africa. It was, it was done because the rains came, which is great for Broken Hill, but it wasn't very good for us. It would be the largest film production in Australian history, like the largest in terms of scale. It, it, it's not only what happens economically, it means that we're keeping the talent here, that really brilliant talent, who previously went overseas. I've seen so many people leave because they weren't the jobs here. And that's going to be massive. And he actually said in a press conference that the support from the federal and New South Wales governments were pivotal and made it possible for the film to be greenlit and shot and produced right here in Australia. Wow. Okay, so it sounds like we're talking primarily about these kinds of big budget features. What does the production of these kinds of films mean for Australians who work in the industry? It's a really complicated question because it's obviously on the surface, it's amazing news Um, and that's borne out by some of the data. There's huge demand at the moment for crews, so much so that when Screen Producers Australia surveyed its members recently, it found that 80% reported that they've had trouble finding people to fill a range of jobs, you know, from assistant directors to gaffers, grips, location managers, camera operators, even accountants, because there's just so much demand And this is obviously great news for those crews, but there are questions about how long the bubble can last and what it means for local productions and smaller outfits, particularly for our creative teams like screenwriters and directors in Australia. But, you know, one director I was speaking to said they don't actually know any local directors who are working or who have had more opportunities because of this massive injection. So in essence, these productions are mostly importing their senior creatives. They've got their their top-tier team that they bring with them. And then they use Australian crews for, you know, set building and and all of the other jobs that kind of go with it at the direction of these massive teams. And as one screenwriter told me, there is a sense that this is very much a sugar hit, that, you know, it cannot last, at least not without any major structural changes in the industry. So they're really worried that although, you know, at the top level we're getting lots of money and lots of productions from these big blockbusters being made in Australia, that the industry itself will go back to the dire state it was in for the last few decades, which is underfunded and underappreciated. We'll be back in a moment. As a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, the Saturday paper, and you'll receive the Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. 
Rick, we're talking about this boom that we're seeing in the film and TV industry, which is largely down to these big budget features that are being made here. But before this current moment, what were things looking like in the Australian industry? Well, I mean, I don't know how much you know from your your trips to the National Archives in Canberra, but, you know, the history of film and TV in Australia is really interesting. And, you know, we created the very first multi-reel feature-length film in Australia. It aired at the Athenaeum Theatre in Melbourne on Boxing Day in 1906. It was the story of the Kelly Gang, uh, tracing the exploits of the, the 19th century bushrangers. So we're very familiar with that story. And of course, we told it first. And at the time, there was this exciting opportunity for Australia to become a world leader in the film industry. But the opportunity was squandered and the US took over. And if you fast forward a few decades to the 1970s and 1980s, there was another huge renaissance of the Australian film industry. And that one was largely supported by the big spending programs from the Whitlam government. For the first time, Australia has a national government which recognises the significance of the arts and artists in our society. And around that time, Australia produced nearly 400 films between 1970 and 1985, including the classics like Mad Max. Max is a cop, one of the best. Where does the to get you? My brilliant career. The last thing I want is, is to be a, a wife out in the bush... Having a baby every year. Crocodile Dundee, Puberty Blues. I mean, Crocodile Dundee is probably, apart from Jurassic Park, the most watched film in the Morton household. G'day, Mick Dundee from Australia. How are you? Particularly when I was growing up. I mean, it is a classic of the genre. But the glory days had to come to an end, um, particularly after successive governments whittled away at the tax concessions and funding programs throughout the 80s and 90s. And pretty much since then, the local industry has gone through these fairly regular boom and bust cycles, and lately, in fact, some say for the last 20 years, we've been in a lull with few films being made here in Australia. You know, most of the things that are coming to screens right now, particularly on the ABC and SBS, were things that were commissioned quite some time ago when there was a little bit more money, and and both those publicly funded broadcasters have had their budgets cut and, you know, the commissions have dried up. And there's also been this kind of ongoing fight in the background about, you know, whether Australian content even gets made by the commercial TV networks and and our industry is kind of atrophied as a result. And in order to make sure that the industry doesn't atrophy, as you put it, what sorts of structural changes would be needed? What are people in the industry saying to you? What most of the people in the creative side of things in Australia, are, you know, like the producers, the directors, the screenwriters and the actors are asking for is quotas. You know, streaming services now have a huge amount of power in this space. In fact, they're the ones who are um, responsible for a global shortage of sound stages, which is why Chris Hemsworth is filming at a convention centre up on the Gold Coast. And so we've got a whole bunch of them in Australia, and these services like Netflix and Amazon Prime and Stan, which is owned by Channel 9, uh, they're not just hosting content anymore, they're creating it, both movies and TV series, but they're largely unregulated in Australia in terms of the content they have to make. So based on international precedent, streaming services, according to Screen Producers Australia and a coalition of other groups called Make It Australian, they're arguing that services like Netflix should invest 20% of all the revenue they make in Australia back into Australian content. Mm. And that goes to the question of how important any of this is, Rick. Does it matter if we're watching shows or, or films that 
uh, made and, and directed and created by Australians versus films that come from a US perspective? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, how important is anyone's voice in any community? I mean, if you listen to Scott Morrison on, on other subjects, then national cohesion is a great thing. And this is something that stories do to us. And we have almost marshaled around tentpole features throughout our, you know, our very short history ever since colonisation. Um, things like the film Gallipoli, obviously, for a, a certain segment of the population. And certainly I watched a lot of it in high school. You know, my mother and I can quote the castle word for word. And there have been moments in our lives where we have actually quoted the film back to each other because it directly maps onto something that we're currently experiencing. Like when my brother had all of these dodgy cars in the in the yard at her house and wouldn't move them because they should have gone to the dump. And I'm like, just watch out for the um, the Toyota Starlet, Mum. You've got to get to the Ford Courier. <laughs> and, you know, it's scary how accurately that film actually can sum up most of our life. But there are moments in the nation's history, um, both mainstream and radical, that are covered by film and TV and that you don't often get to hear and that provoke conversations and, you know... When we lose those stories, I think we lose something of ourselves. And I know that sounds like such a motherhood kind of statement, but it's true and it's one of those things you don't notice until it's gone. And we are at risk of not capitalising at the very least on this massive boom at the moment and making sure that we do have storytellers in these media, which would be, they would be a disaster if we didn't, you know, foster that. Rick, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Also in the news today... The Reserve Bank of Australia has again kept interest rates at the record low rate of 0.1%, the same level they've been held at since November. But the RBA upgraded its forecasts for the economy, predicting growth of 4.75% over the course of this year. And a New South Wales police officer has been charged over an alleged assault of an Indigenous teenager. The alleged incident took place in Sydney last June, New South Wales police say the officer's employment was under review. New episodes of 7am are released every weekday morning. Make sure to follow us in your favourite podcast app so you don't miss out. I'm Ruby Jones. See you tomorrow. We're going to Barney Doon. We're going to Barney Doon. And then I think they say in the back of the car, it's like, it does go on a bit, doesn't it? It's a little bit repetitive. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway.